welcome you again to 9.30 service. Uh, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. If we have not met, uh, great to have you here. Uh, wonderful to have you as a first-time or returning guest here today. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. If you didn't bring your Bible, we have one available for you in the seat pocket in front of you. You'll find the scripture, Luke 12, on this page number uh, in that uh, Bible. So I want to encourage you to pull that out if you did not bring one uh, with you. I want to thank you for being here on this Mother's Day weekend. I, I appreciated seeing some kids who were here this week to bless their moms. Thank you kids for being here, or I guess grown kids is what I should say. It's good to see you here. Uh, hope you had a chance to get some cinnamon rolls and other goodies outside. We have a photo booth out there for you to celebrate mom. I want to tell you what happened last night. Last night, Saturday night worship, we had cupcakes. You know, we, we kind of go with the hour, so at night we had cupcakes. This morning we have cinnamon rolls and other stuff. And what was so funny last night was watching everyone come in, heading to the atrium, and watching all the men just kind of stand around. And you could see like the mouse on the wheel turning, thinking, these cupcakes are not for me. These cupcakes are not for me. These cupcakes are not for me. I want a cupcake, I want a cupcake, I want a cupcake, I want a cupcake. <laughs> and of course, all the women were like, oh, you know, there's so many calories in the cupcake. So worship starts, and there's still like 60 cupcakes outside. So I told the guys at the, at the sermon time, I said, okay, here's the deal. Once the service is over, it's free game. So you go, all the cupcakes were gone at the end of the service. So uh, we do appreciate uh, being able to celebrate Mother's Day. Thanks to our kids for, uh, for leading us in worship to start off. Again, I want to mention to you family experience. Next Sunday afternoon, would love for you to bring your family uh, as we worship together, kids style. This is our second family experience. A great opportunity. Hope you'll be there uh, with us for that. If uh, you... Um, have not been here. We've been in this series called Declutter. And before I dive in today to Luke 12, I want to say one more word about the series that starts next week. As you just heard uh, Nick say, uh, Pastor Mike, uh, who has served this church and this community for decades, is going to be moving into his new role and he's going to be sharing his final series with you. I want to show you this video just to highlight how important next week is in this series that's coming up. Let's watch this real quick. theme for the next uh, seven weeks, uh, the four weeks that Mike will preach, uh, we'll have two weeks in the middle and then uh, we'll end at June 26. Our theme for the next seven weeks is thank you. 
And I want to join, uh, invite you to join me in that emphasis uh, that we're going to be in as we celebrate Mike, uh, celebrate his ministry here uh, as he shares with you some of the final thoughts he wants you to hear from him uh, as pastor, uh, and also celebrate this new chapter in ministry that's, uh, that's beginning uh, for him. Um, on June 26th, I hope you have this date marked, we're going to have one service here at 11 o'clock to, uh, as I've shared with the staff, to attempt the impossible. Uh, the impossible of expressing our deep appreciation of Mike for his leadership of our church. We are who we are today because of Mike's leadership. And I hope you'll be with us on the 26th. Uh, we're not only going to celebrate what Mike has done for our church, we're going to celebrate what Mike has done for our community. And so we're excited. There's several special guests who are going to be with us here on that day to mark that, the way Mike has not only blessed our church, but blessed our community. And I want to make sure that you're going to be there, not only for the 26th, but you're not going to want to miss any of the next four weeks, any service. Uh, Mike will be preaching in all of our services the next four weeks as we share uh, this series, Confessions uh, of a Pastor. Uh, this is the final week of this declutter series, and if you're brand new here, we've been talking about the idea, or I've been making the assumption that when we talk about clutter and chaos, you sort of know what that's like. Like there's, you saw that opening video, I hope there's something within you that says, yeah, I kind of know what that is. You have a sense of my life can sometimes be cluttered and sometimes a bit chaotic, but we've made the note that we're talking about a particular kind of clutter in our life. We're not talking about the clutter, we've, we've said, this is what I share with you in week two, we're not talking about the clutter. Uh, that Real Simple Magazine or the Container Store wants to help you with. We're not talking about bringing peace and harmony to your closet or your sock drawer. We're not talking about helping you have that garage sale you think you uh, need to, to have that, that vacation that you want. Uh, we're talking about the clutter that fills our souls. And so we've talked about hurry. We've talked about noise. Last week we talked about the junk drawer of the soul. And this week we're sort of going to talk about that stuff that all along the way I told you we weren't going to talk about, okay? We're going to talk about the physical stuff that clutters your life. And I want you to know we're not talking about that because I ran out of things to talk about, okay? It wasn't like I woke up this week and went, oh no, it's another week. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. No, we in our original uh, outline of this series, we had this message first. But here was our fear. We thought if we talked about the physical stuff first, you would take the next four weeks off and just declutter your house. And then you wouldn't come back and talk about the soul. And we wanted to talk about the soul. But here's another reason why we think this fits into this emphasis that we've had in looking at the clutter that fills our soul. The idea that our physical stuff is actually soul stuff. That's, that's the premise of today's message, that our physical stuff, the stuff that surrounds us in our life, those things that we see, those tangible things that fill our lives, there's actually a soul connection to that stuff. And we're going to look at that in our passage for today in an interaction that Jesus has with a man who asks of Jesus to help him with his stuff. So Luke chapter 12, our main scripture passage is verse 13 through 21, but I want you to hear the setting of this, uh, of this exchange that Jesus has. So I'm going to take you back first to verse 1. Here's how the chapter begins. It begins in this way. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
So here's what I want you to notice as we move into chapter 12. There's a transition point here at the beginning of this chapter. Jesus had been speaking to the Pharisees. If you don't know who the Pharisees were, they were the adversaries of Jesus, okay? He's been having a dialogue with them. He's been having an argument with them. And he shifts his focus away from engaging the Pharisees to now engaging his disciples. He's teaching his disciples, but he's doing that surrounded by thousands of other people who have come to hear his message. So for the next few verses there, if you just look there in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's sharing a message with them. Then we jump down to verse 13. Look what happens. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay? So I want you to notice what's happening here. Jesus has shifted his focus He's speaking to his disciples. He's sort of in the middle of his prepared remarks. And someone interrupts him and says, Jesus, I have an issue I need you to deal with. One person out of the thousands who, has gather, who have gathered has decided that he needs Jesus to hear his issue. Okay, So it would be like, and please don't do this, it would be, it would be a train wreck. It would be like mid-sermon, one of you stood up and said, wait a second. I have a question I need you to deal with today. And the rest of you would go, what is that guy doing? Sit down. What are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. So look at how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? In other words, why are you bringing this to me? What are you, what are you doing? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So a guy steps out of the crowd and he says, Jesus, I need your help. You need to talk to my brother. My brother has a problem that is affecting me. Would you deal with him? This is kind of like a couple that goes to counseling so that you can fix the other person, right? Like you show up like, I, I brought my husband today. He needs help, you know? <laughs> so, but, but notice how Jesus responds. The first thing he says is, what, what are you doing? Why are you asking me? But then he says to him, be on guard. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, if you're the guy, there may be a party that went, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you the rest of the story, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you haven't heard anything. You don't know anything about my brother. You don't know how bad he is. You know, some of you are thinking, I have a brother. Maybe this guy has a point, right? I mean, that, what, 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 but Jesus jumps. It, it seems, as you read through the text, it seems like Jesus kind of jumps to a conclusion. He's kind of already made his judgment on what has happened here, and he points this man to this principle. He says, be on guard. You need to watch out, man. You need to watch out against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus does what he loves to do. We find this over and over in the Gospels. Jesus decides to tell a parable, a story to illustrate the principle that he has just shared. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. You might underline the word abundant if you have your own Bible with you, the word abundant. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Horrible problem, right? Oh my gosh, the crop was, the return was so much greater than I thought I was going to be. Now I got to figure out what to do with all this food that I can't eat myself. So then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns and there I will store my surplus grain. Story continues. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. 
But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Final verse of this text, verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So Jesus tells a story about a man who has an abundant crop. He has more than he knows what to do with, and the way he deals with that is he tears down his barns, he builds bigger barns. He's got more stuff coming, he has to figure out what to do with all this stuff. And Jesus essentially says, here's a guy that's missed the entire point. He tells this story to illustrate the point that he shared in verse 15. 15. Look back, Jesus said, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Why does Jesus point, why does he raise that principle? Why does he tell the story? Because the man had come to him and said, Jesus, my brother has a problem, and you need to talk to him. If you're brand new here today, my guess is that about now you're asking yourself, a few questions about this church. You've walked in, you've kind of gotten your bearings, you've maybe figured out where to get kids to, to check in, but you're, you may be asking yourself this question, what is this church about? Like, what is this place about? What do they, what do they care about? Maybe you're church shopping right now, you visited a couple other churches and you're trying to figure out, you know, what, are the, what is this church about? What's the heartbeat of this church? What, what drives this church? What, what would my participation in this church do for me in my life? What's the value that might, might create for me in my life? And I want you to know, if you're new and you're asking those questions, I think those are good questions. I think you should ask those questions. I think when you are trying to find a place to, to call home, you should ask yourself those kinds of questions. If I was in your shoes, I would be asking those kinds of questions. In fact, on those rare weekends when I'm not preaching and I visit another church, guess what I'm asking when I walk in the building? I wonder what this church cares about. (laughs) I wonder what they're about. I wonder what they believe in. I wonder what drives them. I wonder what the passion, the energy of that family of faith is really all about. Those are good questions to ask. But some of you this morning may be asking a similar question but on a different level. The question is not what is this church about? Some of you may be asking the question, what is this, what's this whole faith thing about? And by the way, you don't have to be new to be asking that question. You may have been here for quite some time, but you're still wondering, what's what's this really about? What's this following Jesus thing about? You're still trying to figure out, what is it about this book, and and what does it mean for me in my life, and what, what is it inviting me to do? What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus, to live your life as a Christian person what is that really all about if we were to boil it down to the essence of the message what would it be and lucky for you there are people who have come before you who have also asked that question in fact one person who asked that question of Jesus and when he asked it here's the greatest news somebody was taking notes so Matthew chapter 22 someone comes to Jesus and asks of him Jesus what is the greatest commandment which was the first century way of saying, Jesus, could you just boil this down for us? Could you tell us what is the essence of your message? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, keep going, verse 39, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Someone comes and says, Jesus, could you tell us the one thing? And Jesus says, sure, here's the two things. 
love God and love others. Love God and love others. That's it. That's the essence of the message of Jesus. What does it mean to live your life as a follower of Jesus? It is to live with this primary focus and mission to love God and to love others. Now, I know there's all sorts of other things that may confuse you here. I mean, again, you, you may have been to other churches and you may think, well, I wonder what this church is about. I wonder how they, think, how, how they do things. If you would have been here about an hour ago at our last service, you would have thought, this is a different church there. David's got a robe on. That's weird. I don't know what's going on. You know, you, if you were here last night and uh, you saw us baptize a baby and we put water on its head like, you know, you saw in the video that Mike did, you may think, well, why didn't they dunk that baby? I thought we were supposed to, you know, put, put him down. And, well, I don't understand. Somewhat, I got two messages this week. Two messages this week from people who had gone to the bookstore and they were panicked. Pastor, how do I pick out a Bible? Because they didn't know you needed a master's of biblical studies to pick out a Bible at the bookstore. It's a little confusing if you've never been. There's 45 translations and there's all these different, what, I just want a Bible. What do I, what do I, there are lots of confusing things about church world. The pastor will admit that, but this is the essence of the message. It's loving God and loving others. It all boils down to that. What is the, what's the answer for the world? Loving God and loving others. How do you flip the world upside down? Loving God, loving others. Oh, can I tell the joke that's in the message? Is that okay? Is everybody going to be okay with this? Do you want to know how to make America great again? It has nothing to do with China. It's loving God and loving others. See, nobody thought it was funny. Why did I do it? Man. <laughs> That's it. That's the message of Jesus, loving God and loving others. That's what it's all about. Now, why would I bring that up today? Because I want you to contrast what Jesus identifies as primary with this man who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you please fix my brother? You see, Jesus, this, this is how he defines the, the priorities of life. Uh, he, he would say, go to that next slide, primary is loving God, loving others, and then you take care of all the other stuff. So there's all this other junk in your life you got to take care of. Everybody has it, but it all comes secondary to these two primary tasks, loving God, loving others. You take care of everything else after, after the other two. Well, let's look, at, let's look at the priorities of the other man. Number one, take care of my stuff. Number two, with whatever is left over, do those other two things as long as it does not interfere with priority one. Do you see the contrast? And do you see why Jesus responded the way that he did? Jesus says, watch out, man. You got to be on guard. You got to be aware of this. You got you to see that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You've flipped the priorities upside down. It's as if Jesus is saying to him, there is this danger that you could come to the end of your life and only then realize that you have completely missed the point of life. So watch out, man. You gotta be careful, you gotta be on guard because Life does not consist in what, of what you think it does. Life is about something very 
very different. John 10.10, this is a verse that you should memorize. Jesus says, defining the life, uh, the mission of his life, he says in this way, I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. Now, some of you have already memorized that scripture. You memorized it, though, in a different translation. And so you remember the word that is in there. I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. The abundant life. Remember that word I told you to pay attention to in Luke chapter 12? He had an abundant harvest. Jesus said, I have come that they may have an abundant life. What in the world does Jesus mean by this word abundance? Well, you know how the world would define it. You know how the world would articulate what it means to live with abundance. But is that what Jesus means? Is that the abundant life that Jesus comes to offer us? Has Jesus come so that you could pray a prayer and then get a pool? Is that really what abundance is about? Because that's the lie the world wants to tell you. The world wants to tell you that all of those needs and desires, uh, that, 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 that longing that you have in your life, it will be filled with you fill in the blank. And, and you know what's, what's one of the symptoms of the sickness that we live in? Most of us had something in our mind to fill in the blank. But abundance has nothing to do with that according to Jesus. Here's, here's how Jesus might define abundance, that the abundant life is the generous life. The abundant life is the generous life, or you might say it this way, that abundance has nothing to do with what we gain and everything to do with what we give. Abundance has nothing to do with what we gain and everything to do with what we give. Do you see how Jesus takes this idea and he flips it upside down? It is not about the abundant harvest that can be stored in bigger barns. It's about a life where you have the opportunity to give your life away, loving God, loving others, and making sure everything else falls underneath that. Abundance has nothing to do with what we gain. It has everything to do with what we give. And here's the crazy part. We all know that's true. We all know that's true. Because we've all gathered with family and friends at the end of a loved one's life and at the end of a loved one's life, we always know what to celebrate. I've never sat with a family and said, what do, you, what do you really want to remember about your loved one? And no one's ever said, have you seen his car? They've always talked about how they, how they gave, and how they served, and how they sacrificed. We all, we all know this is true. And yet what Jesus says is this, watch out, watch out, watch out. Because in the process of living life, you might completely miss life. And it's only at the end that you would wake up and go, oh my gosh, I was building bigger barns. And every single day, life was slipping through my fingers. Because abundance has nothing to do with what you gain. It has everything to do with what you, what you give. Which is why generosity is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus generosity essential it is a non-negotiable practice of someone who is committed to following Jesus because generosity here's what generosity does for us it reorients our life to what be what should be true north 
It turns us back to that priority that Jesus has for our life of loving God, loving, loving others, letting everything else fall below that. Generosity has a way of reorienting us back to what really matters in our life. When we live generously, when we engage in that practice of sharing our life, of sacrificing for others, there is no moment in our life when we are more like Jesus than when we do that. Because that's the heart of God. That's the heart of Christ, to, to live generously. Now, just, just to calm any anxiety in the room, I just want to point this out to you. We've already taken the offering, and we're not taking another one, okay? So everyone just go, oh, man, okay? We're not taking another offering. But here's, here's what I want you to understand, and here's why I even bring that up. Some of us are confused into believing that generosity is what the church wants from you. And it's not. It's what the church wants for you. Because when you live a generous life, when you live a generous life, it, it refocuses the priority, what really matters in your life. It has a way of drawing you back to what really matters, what should be at the center. Your allegiance to Christ and living as Christ has called you to live, where the primary, primary things in your life are not about caring for your stuff, but about loving God and loving others and serving the world. There has been nothing in my life that has been more transformative than seeking to live generously. And specifically in my life, following a principle that we find throughout the scriptures of living generously according to the tithe. Now, if you don't know what that means, here's what it means. If you have a dollar, you give a dime. If you have $10, you give a dollar. If you have $100, you give $10. I think you can do the math forward from there. That's what it means to follow that practice. Nothing has been more transformative in my life than the commitment I made when I was 19 years old to do that practice, to engage in that practice, to live uh, generously. I'll tell you why that happened. I had a campus minister in college who was bold enough to challenge his college students to live generously and to live according to the tithe. Now, you may think, why in the world would you tell college students that? Like, live generously, share your ramen noodles with your friend, right? I mean, you have nothing when you're in college, so why would, well, here's why, because he told us, you are at a point in your life where you have nothing, but you will one day have something, and if you can figure out how to live your life when you have nothing, you will know how to live your life when you have something, and so he challenged us. At that stage in our life where we had absolutely nothing to make a commitment at that point to live in such a way that we would know what to do when we had something. He said, I want to challenge you to take a bold step at 19 years old. And I said, I'm going to do that. That sounds crazy. I want to do that because I want to make sure that the priority of my life is, is what it should be. So today I want to give you, a, I want to invite you to a bold step, a step that maybe only two or three of you will do. I mean, we talk about next steps all the time. Those next steps are those things that we hope a hundred people do. This may be something that only five people in this room do, but I want to offer you a bold step. If you've made a commitment to Jesus, if you've made a commitment to live your life as a follower of Jesus and you haven't married that 
to this practice of generosity and in particular this practice of living according to the tithe, I want to challenge you to do that for the next three months. I want to challenge you for three months say, I'm just going to give this a shot. I'm going to, I'm going to take this bold step. I'm going to seek to live generously in this area of my life and I'm going to see what happens. Now here's the other thing I'll tell you. I don't care where you give it. I really don't. Now, I'm the leader of a nonprofit organization that I believe in, okay? But I don't care where you give it. Give it to the Salvation Army. Give it to the Wesley Mission Center. Just give it away. And in three months, here's my guarantee. I don't know, I don't know what I'd say about money back guarantee, but here's the guarantee. At the end of three months, at the end of three months, if you give it here, I'll give it back. If you, at the end of three months, here's what I guarantee will happen. You will continue to invest in that practice. As God gives to you, you will continue to give to others because at the end of that three months, I guarantee you at the end of that, life's going to get flipped upside down. And you're going to discover not the burden of generosity, but the joy of generosity and the opportunity it gives you to recenter and to declutter your life (laughs) because what should be a priority is actually a priority. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. Um, this is my email address. <laughs> now I've got to tell you why I'm sharing my email address. If you are here today and you want to take that bold step, I would like you to email me. And the reason I want you to email me is I want to take your name I want to write it in this journal, and I want to pray for you for these next three months. I'm going to send you a few words of encouragement uh, in in your uh, email over the next few months as well, but that's the main thing I want to do. I want to pray for you because you're taking a bold step of faith, and a bold step that I believe that God's going to honor in your life. And so I would love the honor of being able to pray for you as you take this bold step. We're not taking a second offering today. That's not the point of today. The point of today is the words of Jesus. He says, watch out. Watch out. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't come to the end of your life and only then realize that you've missed life. Life is about loving God. And life is about loving others. So be careful. Be careful that you don't miss what life is really all about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we pause to give you tremendous thanks for the people who have given to us. We come today, Lord, to celebrate moms, to celebrate all the women who have poured their life into our life, sharing their faith with us, sharing your grace with us. We celebrate, Lord, their sacrifice, their service, the way in which they have put themselves second so that we might be taken care of. We are who we are today because of their generous gifts, and we are so grateful for that. All of life is grace, Lord. All of life is grace. And we confess to you that we often miss that. We often misunderstand how much of what we receive is simply unmerited, undeserved favor from you and favor from those who love us and care for us.
God, we pray that that grace received would be translated into grace shared in our families, in our community, in the world in which we live. Thank you, God, for the call to living a generous and abundant life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.